you tweeted the other day that you think that the DFS community needs some some young blood mixed into the pool. Uh, you want to expand on that? I just look on Twitter and I see just a bunch of 40-year-old nerds that they get into fights with other DFS touts and it's just so cringy and I don't know I just feel like more people in our age demographic need to get involved in DFS so we could put an end to this cringe and take over and actually Mm. provide some non-cringe content but that you know I'm not adding anybody okay I mean you're definitely subbing the Osimo Empire Maker Exchange 100% I mean that's oh that is just so cringy man you got dudes saying i'm the best head-to-head player in the world blah blah like bruh come on that oh my that's just so cringy to me i i know i've used that word a lot but i did when i read that i'm just like what are we doing here these dudes are grown-ass men arguing about who's the who's the better head-to-head player in DraftKings. <laughs> Like, come on, my guys. Like, what the f*** are we doing here? Like, for real. It shows to me, especially in the lingo, right? Yeah. That's that's a major, major uh, separating point, I think, from, like, when I listen to podcasts versus, like, how I talk. Like, these dudes just have no sense of being in touch with the times. Yeah, there are plenty of highly credible DFS analysts that, you know, I listen to and I watch their content and, you know, they'll have exchanges with people on Twitter that might be in tune with the times and the the exchanges are just so cringy because they don't understand any of our lingo or how we act and it's just so weird to me. Half of these people probably don't even know what no cat means. So <laughs> so when we have like a, a clip and one of them might see it, they'd be like, what the hell are these kids talking about? And it's just, it's just mad funny to me. So that was basically the underlying basis of me tweeting that is I think there are not enough young people in our space and you know that might be for whatever reason but I hope more young people start to get involved and can be less cringy than some of the stuff that I see on a daily basis on Twitter. More youth, less receding hairlines, <laughs> DFS. That's the platform. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 99 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to break down the entire NFL Week 7 main slate from a DFS perspective. We're going to take a look at slate specifics and what Vegas is telling us, talk about some of the chalk on the slate, give our thoughts on cash game lineup construction tournament leverage and stacks finally we will close out the show with our best bets of the week but before we do any of that joey would you mind telling the people how they can support the podcast you can support the dfs dose by following us on twitter at the dfs dose that is where we tweet out links to all of our content and that is the easiest way to keep up to date with what we're doing in terms of a podcast and then if you're listening to this on soundcloud apple spotify stitcher wherever you listen to your podcast make sure you are subscribed or followed so it's probably a button right below the podcast where it says to subscribe or follow make sure you are doing either one of those on whatever platform you use and then you can also find us on youtube at the dfs dose my video just came out yesterday on the dfs dose feed ben's video will come out tomorrow 
on that same feed plus his cash pool article will be accompanied by that on the dfsdose.com so make sure you guys check all of that out as we help you guys try to sail to the money in week seven yeah and if any of you guys out there were a little bit triggered by the intro and you're having trouble figuring out how to subscribe to the podcast just ask your kids they can help (laughs) you with the phone to figure it out but uh yes joey let's dive into the week seven main slate Vegas notes to start off. This is an 11 game main slate with seven games early and four games in the afternoon. Thank God we have a full afternoon slate. We won't be pigeonholed into a terrible red zone channel experience this week. Thankfully, last week, looking at the slate, it felt like just a really ugly slate with a lot of the best offenses in the league off of it. This week, we've got a full deck all of the best offenses back on the slate, and that's reflected in the totals. There are six games with totals above 50, three games with totals above 55. The top five implied team totals on the week seven slate, Green Bay at 30.5, Seattle 29.75, New Orleans 29.25, Buffalo at 29.25, and Atlanta at 28.75. What stands out to you on the week seven slate from a Vegas perspective? Yeah, so I think two things stand out to me, and that is the totals in the Packers and Texans and the Seahawks and Cardinals game. So the Packers game has a total of 57 and the Cardinals game has a total of 56 and a half. So those are the two highest totaled games on the slate and a lot of fantasy potential in these two matchups. I mean, I just love everybody in these two spots in terms of DFS, specifically on DraftKings for this week. So it's going to be a fun week, especially for tournaments, as I am really just only going to target these two games and not get off the board that much. That's how it's looking for me right now. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, especially in the Seattle game to me is a game that I just want as much exposure as I can get. When I first looked at the slate, the thing that stood out to me was that I would not have a chance to buy low on some of the top tier offenses that I was hoping to buy low on teams like Green Bay, who really struggled on offense last week, but they come back and have the highest implied team total. So it's not going to be sneaky whatsoever. Same thing with Buffalo as a team that stood out after having two you know, down weeks on offense. I was hoping that, you know, maybe it would be sneaky. You could get some of those guys at lower ownership and you might be able to in Buffalo more so than Green Bay, but still the the team totals are so high and the matchups are so good for both of these teams that I don't think we're really going to see any type of significant ownership discount Mm -hmm. birthed by recency bias. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, but I also do like some of these ancillary stacks that we'll get into in the tournament section as well. Absolutely, so make sure you stick around to the end of the show when we get to our tournament stacks, leverage, and long shots, but... As we always do, we're going to start off by talking some chalk. At the quarterback position, there are two main options, in my opinion, that are going to come in as really highly owned, uh, and that's going to be Kyler Murray as the highest owned quarterback, and then Joe Burrow, I think, at the low range, 5,500 on DraftKings, is going to be somebody that a lot of people go to as a way to save salary. How do you feel about these two players? Yeah, I think these are the two clear-cut options for week seven obviously Kyler Murray is a phenomenal fantasy quarterback and I think he is a clear-cut pay-up option this week uh, at 7100 provides you excellent rushing upside he scored a rushing touchdown in every game but 
one this year. So he's a phenomenal play uh, going up against a Seahawks defense that gets absolutely torched by anybody that they face. And then Joe Burrow at 5,500, I think is in play at home against the Browns defense that has quietly been one of the worst defenses in terms of passing yards allowed. Uh, And Joe Burrow has a floor of 16 points pretty much in the 2020 season so far with one dud game against the Ravens uh, when he went into Baltimore and only had six points. But if you're looking at a floor of 16 for Joe Burrow at 5,500 on DraftKings, I think that he is one of the better pay down quarterback options and he should garner ownership in week seven. Agreed. I mean, I think it's almost understated how impressive Joe Burrow has been to start his NFL career, at least statistically. You know, he's thrown for 300 passing yards in four of his first six NFL games. I mean, that that's pretty impressive in my opinion. I mean, the touchdowns haven't quite been there, only averaging one touchdown per week, but just due to, you know, how fast the Bengals play and the amount of attempts that Burrow is getting off in these games, I think that he has a pretty high floor at an affordable price tag and he's getting a nice decent discount due to having pretty difficult back-to-back road matchups against Baltimore and Indianapolis over the last two weeks. So I think it's a great bounce back spot for Joe Burrow. But to me, Kyler Murray is going to be a priority this week. I think he is well worth the salary to get up to him at 7,100. And you talked about how Seattle has been getting, you know, basically eviscerated by everybody they've played uh, on the other side of the ball. They're allowing the sixth most rushing yards to quarterback per game, third most rushing touchdowns to quarterback per game, and second most fantasy points to quarterbacks per game. Kyler's floor has been 24 points this year no games under 24 and his rushing stats are just they're they're phenomenal he's the best rushing quarterback in the NFL this year averaging 8.5 attempts per game his 16 game rushing pace would be 136 attempts for 986 yards right on that 1,000 yard rushing baseline six rushing touchdowns through the first six games only one game without a rushing touchdown I mean to me he is extremely safe with a really high ceiling and a spot going against Seattle that can push this game to be an absolute shootout and coming off of a week where he only had a 37.5 completion percentage, you know, I think that that rebounds. He had no less than a 65% completion percentage in any of the other games that, he, that the Cardinals played this year. So Kyler Murray, the best quarterback play on, on the board pretty easily, in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I'm probably going to make it a point to fit him in my cash lineup this week. He's just an outstanding play in, in that price range. So I love Kyler Murray as well. In terms of running back chalk, there are three guys that, you know, we're anticipating to sort of dominate uh, ownership. It'll be Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, and Kareem Hunt. Which of these guys are you leaning towards? Are there any of them that you are, are less favorable towards in terms of a high ownership play? Or are these guys pretty pretty safe bets in terms of ownership and being worth it? Yeah, I think all three of these guys are good plays and should be safe for you if you want to play them. In cash games, I think Kamara stands above the rest at home against the Carolina Panthers team. And I mean, we talk about it every week. The Panthers get absolutely dominated against opposing running backs. Um, They give up the most catches to opposing running backs besides the Falcons. They give up almost a touchdown per game to opposing running backs. And Alvin Kamara is quietly averaging nine targets per game with a 25% uh, target share in that Saints offense. So you're getting a running back one and 
a wide receiver one with Alvin Kamara. So at 7,900, I think he's a lock this week and I will be playing him. Aaron Jones at 7,200 is also a phenomenal play, averaging 18 touches in this Packers offense. Just one of the more talented running backs in the NFL going up against a Houston defense that we know is the worst run defense in the league. And not to mention the Aaron Jones returning to Texas narrative that happened last year when he returned to Texas to play the Cowboys. He put up a 40 spot in that game. So he's coming to Texas again, uh, his home state to play Houston, 7,200, a phenomenal play. And then Cream Hunt is probably my least favorite play out of these three, but I still think he is a phenomenal play at 6,800 as the uh, clear-cut RB1 in Cleveland. So I think they're all great plays. Cream Hunt, to me, I have the least interest in just because at 6,800, I think that he's close enough in price to Aaron Jones that Aaron Jones should be a clear priority. And he's priced above guys like Connor and Mike Davis and Chris Carson in that range that I like a little bit more or equally to him. And you're going to be getting an ownership discount, especially for tournaments. So uh, I don't see myself being too heavy on Kareem Hunt this week. The other two, a lot more difficult to fade. In terms of Alvin Kamara, uh, you mentioned that he's averaging nine targets per game. Do you think that there's any chance that that comes down with the return of Michael Thomas this week, or does Thomas's return more so relegate guys like Emmanuel Sanders and Traquan Smith to secondary roles and and Kamara should be fine? I mean, how's that going to play out? Yeah, I definitely think it's the latter. Traquan and Sanders will take a backseat to MT and Kamara. So I don't think Michael Thomas's return will affect Kamara that much. Now, he might not average nine targets per game, but even if he gets six to eight targets and, you know, six to eight catches per game, he's still a phenomenal play this week at 7,900 at home against the Panthers. So like I said, he's a lock for me in week seven. Only the second time this year that he's been priced under 8K. So yeah, Alvin Kamara, clear cut, probably my favorite running back play on the slate. And then Aaron Jones. I mean, it's like deja vu, Joey, because a lot of the numbers are telling me that he is not a phenomenal cash play, but the thought of fading two hyper-talented running backs against the Texans in back-to-back weeks. It just has me sick to my stomach. I can just feel if I were to fade Aaron Jones, he'd be very likely to drop another 40 bomb on my head just like Derrick Henry did last week. But the numbers, Joey, I mean, there are legitimate concerns in my opinion with Aaron Jones in terms of his floor because although he's averaging 23.6 fantasy points per game, he's actually only had over 23 points in one spot in in his blow-up game against Detroit. Other than that, you know, it's been 22 points or under. He's had under 20 points in three out of his five games. He's played on under 60% of snaps in four out of his five games. And to me, that is just a recipe for fade at a high ownership and a guy who's in a defined committee, especially with a guy like Jamal Williams, who has a good chance to siphon off receiving work, despite Aaron Jones being a phenomenal pass catcher. So, I mean, are these concerns overblown? Should Aaron Jones just be, you know, as much of a lock as Alvin Kamara, if not more? Or are we kind of overvaluing matchup? Yeah, that's a loaded question, Ben. And I think my thought process on this is Aaron Jones is still averaging 18 touches per game, 18.6 to be exact. He has no game with less than two catches. So you're getting a two catch floor and he has multiple games with four or more uh receptions. So I like his receiving floor. I like his talent as a running back. And I think there needs to be context in these games. Like 
against the Bucks, they were getting blown out, so he got taken out. Against the Falcons, they were blowing out the Falcons, so they ran Jamal Williams more. Week one, they were blowing out the Vikings, so they ran Jamal Williams a little bit more. So we've seen Matt LaFleur take out Aaron Jones when the Packers have these games in control. Now, I will say the Texans aren't a good team, but I think they can keep this game close due to the talent that they have on their offense and with the Packers defense not being that good. So I would expect Aaron Jones to have a larger snap share in this matchup. I think they want him to be around 70%. I think that's the goal. But if he gets less, I think that's more because of the game script that the Packers get into is when he's less than 70%. But like I said, if he's still getting 18 to 20 touches, I don't think you can fade him at 7,200 just due to the matchup, due to his reception floor and his reception upside. And with him being probably a top six or top seven running back in the NFL right now in terms of talent, I'm not fading Aaron Jones. Same thing with Derrick Henry last week. No shot. All right. That is fair analysis on Aaron Jones. And I, I won't fade him either. Last week, you know, trusted the process process burned me now i'm just gonna go after the results aaron jones for the win in terms of wide receiver chalk terry mclaurin is going to be stone chalk highest owned wide receiver on the slate pretty easily before we started recording i noticed a tweet from the legendary peter Overzet saying that terry mclaurin chalk is going to be like will fuller chalk week five last year when he snapped for 50 and i could see that happening with mclaurin in this spot Yeah, I mean, McLaurin at 5,800 is probably the best play on the board this week at home against a Cowboys defense that literally lets anybody do anything they want against them. Uh, And we know that McLaurin is a very talented player. He's top five in the NFL in target. He's top three in terms of target share in the NFL. He's just a phenomenal play this week at 5,800. So everybody's going to play him. And I'm going to be one of the people that plays him because I'm not fading Terry in this spot. No shot. Yeah, I don't think you can get away from him, especially in cash games. And he's honestly going to be a pretty difficult tournament fade. Although I think that you can make the justification with some other really strong plays in his price range, priced at 5,800. The other chalky wide receiver that I'm expecting to be second in terms of ownership is Deontay Johnson. I know that you're a little more bullish on this play than I am, so you can take this away. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Deontay Johnson, he burned people the last two times that he's played, but they dropped his price all the way to 4200 and this is a guy where his price got up into the mid-5Ks at his peak, so you're getting a severe discount on a talented player that gets targets when he's healthy. As we saw in week one, he had 10 targets. Week two, we had 13 targets. Now it might be more thin because of his injuries and because of the emergence of Chase Claypool, but one can speculate that Deontay Johnson and Claypool are the Steelers' top two wide receivers and not Juju. So I would much rather play Deontay Johnson than some of these other guys in his price range. And I think he is a phenomenal cash player this week if you need to save the salary. It's a fair point, but the thing with the Deontay Johnson play is that he was getting those targets force-fed to him prior to Chase Claypool's breakout, and I am just not ready to in terms of a floor perspective anyways, just assume that it's going to go back to Deontay being the primary option. I mean, Chase Claypool has done nothing but produce since he's gotten the opportunity. And 
uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely fair to speculate that Juju Smith-Schuster is the wide receiver three right now. I mean, it's crazy to think about considering how his career started, but we can't maintain biases forever. So yeah, I have to definitely take that into account. Deontay Johnson's price at only 4,200 is very enticing and it is kind of mitigates the risk, I think, of things being more in favor of Chase Claypool. But when you look at the, the way that it's hard to imagine Deontay being the sole focus after Claypool's breakout with Big Ben on the road and the uncertainty around him. I'm not too keen on Deontay Johnson as a cash play, especially with what, in my opinion, is a much better play for cheaper that we will talk about in cash game lineup construction. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not I'm not sold on it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. I just think 4200 is a misprice for a player that we know is going to be on the field for the Steelers and he is going to get targets and this should be a solid game environment with the Steelers and Titans and Tennessee has actually been playing at a higher pace this year so that could speed up the game which could cause for some uh, fantasy goodness in this spot so I just like his price tag at 4200 I think it's too cheap. In his four games played, he has an equal amount of games under one point as over one point. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, In terms of other wide receiver chalk, it's a little early, so I'm not totally sure who else is going to draw the most ownership. I think... The other guy besides McLaurin and Deontay that'll be extremely popular is probably DeAndre Hopkins at the high range, Mm -hmm. highest priced wide receiver on the slate, 8,200. In the nut matchup going against Seattle, who is by far allowing the most wide receiver points per game, when you pair that with the fact that Kyler Murray is going to be the highest owned quarterback on the slate, I mean, it just makes a ton of sense that Hopkins will draw intense ownership despite a relatively disappointing game in primetime on Monday night. Yeah, I definitely think Hopkins will have ownership in this spot uh, at home against the worst secondary in the NFL. And we've seen it every week so far. There's at least one high-priced wide receiver that is chalk. So I definitely expect that to be DeAndre Hopkins. But I just want to shout out two guys that I think will carry ownership in this week. And that is Keenan Allen at 6,200. I think will garner a good amount of ownership if he's good enough to go. Keenan Allen is leading the NFL in terms of target market share for his team at 29% and it'd be higher if he finished that game against the Saints and he's just a target monster in a solid matchup at home against the Jags so I think he'll have ownership if he's out Mike Williams will then become one of the best plays on the board at 4,700 so that is something to keep an eye on I also think Christian Kirk could be chalk come Sunday at 4,900 a phenomenal play in the same spot as D-Hop at home against this terrible Seahawks defense and Everybody saw his blow up game on Monday Night Football. So I think a lot of people will go back to him in this spot. So those are two guys that I think could be chalk come Sunday. Yeah, I could see it, especially Kirk. Same thing as Hopkins pairs well with the, you know, highest owned quarterback on the slate. So that that'll make a lot of sense. But I mean, Kirk to me is a pretty easy fade this week. He had a long touchdown. He had two touchdowns on two receptions, and it seems like an easy spot to fade him, especially because Andy Isabella was, you know, a touchdown away from taking one of those long touchdowns. It was just a miss by Kyler in that spot, and that could have easily swung Christian Kirk's week. I just, I don't feel great about Christian Kirk this week. I think it makes sense to get away from him unless you're just completely stacking the 
game, which a lot of people will. So I see the paths to ownership. Just just one thing. I, I definitely disagree with you on, on Christian Kirk. I think he's a phenomenal play. His price tag is just way too cheap for his role in the Cardinals offense. Although he did have three targets, they were ahead by 20 points most of the game. So Fair point. At tight end, I think Austin Hooper is going to end up being chalk when it's all said and done. There's a chance that guys like Anthony Ferkser could, but with Jonu Smith returning to practice Wednesday, that seems in doubt. Ferkser would be a phenomenal play in my opinion at 3K, but with Hooper at only 4K having a consistent share of targets, he's going to project well. Cincinnati's allowing the fifth most receptions per game to tight end and the seventh most fantasy points per game to tight end. It makes a lot of sense to me for Hooper to be the highest on tight end on the slate. Yeah, I definitely think Hooper will be chalk if those uh, injuries don't open up the pay down tight ends and Anthony Ferkser and Albert O. I'm not going to say his last name because I have no idea how to say it. But it looks like Noah Fant is going to be back for the Broncos this week, which would take Albert O out of the equation. And Jonu Smith did return to practice. But I think there is a possibility that he could still miss because it is an ankle sprain. And I don't know if he can get back within within one week um ankle sprains are tough so we'll see on that but if the injuries don't open up those two guys at the bottom hooper definitely and then i think hunter henry we have to mention will have ownership as well for only 500 dollars more in just as good of a spot as hooper is hunter henry and he's getting targets in this chargers offense so i, I like him a lot too this week I, I like both of them if the cheap guys don't open up Let's move on to cash game lineup construction. We already touched on this in terms of quarterback. I think that there are pretty much two clear options that stand out in Kyler and Burrow as the chalky guys and also the best plays for cash games. There's some mid-range players, guys like Stafford, uh, maybe Justin Herbert, if you're interested in that vibe. But I think, in my opinion, Kyler Murray should be a priority play. And finding the money to get up to him at 7,100 is something I'm going to try my absolute hardest to do this week. Yeah, I definitely agree. But if you're paying up for Kyler and paying up for Kamara and paying up for Aaron Jones, you're going to need some value. So who is your favorite value wide receiver? I mean, I already know I'm just setting you up to to talk about your son. Who is it? Yeah, well, it's the Chiefs wide receiver one who's highly underpriced on the slate. So I know what you all are thinking. You're going over to DraftKings and you're scrolling and you see Tyreek Hill, right? Not who I'm talking about, Joey. You got to scroll way down the list to find the Chiefs wide receiver that played the most snaps last week against Buffalo, 95% of snaps to be exact, and that is Demarcus Robinson, the one and only. Mm. He is 3.4K. Uh, Miko Hardman only played 40% of snaps last week. Demarcus Robinson is the clear-cut wide receiver too, all jokes aside, in Kansas City with Sammy Watkins out. Miko Hardman is nothing more than a gadget player in this offense right now. And Tyreek Hill, obviously still the, the wide receiver one, but the thing is, is no defense can possibly key in on Demarcus Robinson. They're going to have to be focused on Tyreek and Travis Kelsey. So for 3.4K, yeah, I mean, I know that in your opinion, it's something like six targets is his ceiling or whatever. And to me, that's completely fine. It's like paying down at tight end. I'm willing to accept six targets in one of the best offenses in the NFL for only 3.4K and it frees up your salary in just a crazy way that lets you fit Kyler, lets you fit Aaron Jones, lets you fit Alvin Kamara. So I think that to me, Demarcus Robinson is one of the best cash plays on the slate. And if he comes in at low ownership as well, I'm going to be going there in tournaments heavily. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the rant. I, I like the analysis, but 
but I'm definitely not playing Demarcus Robinson in cash. So listeners, take that as you will, depending on what you think of Ben and me. I'm not going there. 3,400, don't care. I think there are two or three viable uh, wide receivers that you can play to relieve some salary in the four to 5K range, which we talked about in the chalk section with Deontay, Mike Williams, and Christian Kirk. I think they're all better plays than Demarcus Robinson. I think the wide receiver two role in Kansas City doesn't really uh, have that much fantasy upside. I, I mean, we've seen it with Sammy Watkins. He hasn't been a consistent fantasy player at all in his tenure in Kansas City. City. Demarcus Robinson is a career bum. He has one game in his five years in the NFL with over 100 yards in pretty much every game that he's ever played in. He's had less than 60 receiving yards. So this is not a guy that I am playing. He is most likely the fourth option on the team could be the fifth option depending on how they integrate Le'Veon Bell into their offense so I am not going there in cash and I'm not going there in tournaments and yeah I don't know how you feel about that there's a secondary reason why I think Demarcus Robinson is a phenomenal cash play and it's because of what it allows you to do with your running back three position right we're obviously locking in Kamara and Aaron Jones that that seems like the obvious move for cash this week and we want to pay up for Kyler as well but unless you're willing to settle for a third running back in the range of DeAndre Swift or Justin Jackson maybe then I think that playing Demarcus Robinson allows you to have a 6k plus running back somebody like Chris Carson or James Conner or Mike Davis or Kareem Hunt whoever that may be for you as that running back three in cash games Demarcus Robinson allows you to get there especially if you have to be in the 4k range at tight end and play Kyler Murray so to me it's like you're gonna play either Robinson or you'll play Deontay Johnson who is a huge injury risk and we already talked about his concerns or you're gonna play Christian Kirk who could get three targets I think that even though you can make the case that yeah Sammy Watkins has been extremely inconsistent Consistent and that role in the Chiefs offense is not amazing. If it was Sammy Watkins sitting there at 3.4K, he would be like 80% owned in cash. And I think that Demarcus Robinson won't get that respect due to his name, but... No, he won't get that respect because he's a career bum, Ben. Sammy Watkins, in terms of talent... is a career bum. <laughs> what are you talking about? Sammy, but in terms of talent and upside is worlds above Demarcus Robinson. I mean, I'm not going to speak bad about Sammy Watkins. The man thinks that he's a horse in a human's body running on the field, and I'll always respect him for that quote. So, I'm not going to I'm not going to dismiss you on that. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, shout out to Sammy Watkins, but yeah, I think the listeners can just know that you're on Demarcus Robinson and I am not on Demarcus Robinson, but I also believe that in terms of cash games, I'm fine with Justin Jackson. I know you aren't. Uh, but at 4,900, if you want to go there, I wouldn't blame anybody. He did have 20 touches against the Saints in that matchup when uh after Eckler got hurt and Joshua Kelly had I think like 12 or 13 touches so Justin Jackson is the lead dog in LA going up against the Jags so a very good matchup for him and five catches for him was definitely encouraging for 23 yards so solid receiving floor there but I think this could be a four wide receiver week in cash um interesting I, I think it definitely could be because what I've been messing around with is you play Kyler you play Kamara you play Aaron Jones, you could play Terry McLaurin, Keenan Allen, 
then you go Christian Kirk and maybe Deontay Johnson, and then you play Austin Hooper. Or if Ferkser opens up, then it's it's even more money to to fit in your flex. Like I, I think four wide receivers could be the wave this week due to the lack of cheap running back options. Yeah, I mean, if you're telling me the two v two is like Demarcus Robinson and Chris Carson versus Deontay Johnson and Christian Kirk, that's pretty easy in my opinion. But I won't keep hammering the same point. Let the listeners think on that for themselves. Um, the problem for me in terms of those mid 5k and under running backs is like, I don't trust Justin Jackson to maintain the role that he had. Like, I think it could easily swing in Joshua Kelly's favor. And the same thing goes with DeAndre Swift, an incredibly talented player, sets up well as the Lions are underdogs going against a team that allows a ton of receptions to running backs, but Swift hasn't played over 50% of snaps. Like he got some goal line rush attempts last week, scored two touchdowns, but to me, that's almost like chasing points if you go back to him, especially in cash games, when it could easily be, you know, on Johnson getting those goal line touches or Adrian Peterson getting those goal line touches. So I'm more comfortable finding a way to get up to Chris Carson, who I love this week, uh, James Conner, who I like quite a bit, and there there's some other guys as well. In wide receiver, though, I, I think you're you're right about the guys that we're looking to. We're looking to Terry McLaurin. We're looking to Keenan Allen. I think Jamison Crowder, who is you know among the top wide receiver in fantasy points per game, is just an extremely solid play at 5,900 going against the Bills slot corners, which has been giving all year in fantasy. And Jamison Crowder, 13 targets, 10 targets, 10 targets, 13 targets. He's quarterback proof. We talked about it last week. He's Adam Gase proof. And at 5,900, I think is one of the better, safer cash plays on the slate. Yeah, I definitely like Crowder a lot this week, and he gets a Bills defense that he already tore up this year in week one for, uh, what do you have, 27 and a half points in that matchup. The only thing is, if Flacco starts, his upside is severely, uh, lowered in my opinion. Flacco is just god awful and I don't like playing Jets wide receivers if Flacco is throwing them the ball. So I probably won't go there, but I still think he is a solid play. But in terms of wide receivers, I I like the mid range and we talk about it every week. You want to get these guys in this 55 to 65 hundred range and I don't think you can go wrong with AJ Brown if you want to go there. Chase Claypool at 5700 is a good play in my opinion. DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are are two good players at cheap price tags if you don't care about defense, if defense doesn't matter to you. And DJ Chark and Juju are both 5500, even Tyler Boyd at 5400. You can get very good target shares in this mid-range, so I will not be paying up for a wide receiver once again in cash games. I too will learn from the mistake that I made last week not following our own advice which is to stick to this mid-range in cash at the high end of the mid-range I'm okay with I think going up to Kenny Galladay as the highest priced guy I would consider in cash at 6700 mm-hmm. yep. Marvin Jones missed practice on Wednesday I think that Galladay would become stone chalk if Marvin Jones were to miss but going against the Falcons is one of the best matchups and Kenny had a few PI calls last week that could have turned his good game into a, an absolute monster game I think Kenny Galladay monster game is coming soon could be in this week in a high totaled game in a great matchup i also like tyler lockett at 6600 coming off of two semi-disappointing games going against the cardinals in this huge totaled game tyler lockett is definitely underpriced in my opinion at 6600 but yeah like with aj brown crowder uh, mclaurin keenan like that that it's just such a loaded range that you don't have to go up to the hopkins adams 
Calvin Ridley, Michael Thomas here. Absolutely not in cash this week. So mm-hmm. definitely going to stick to my own advice, <laughs> to our own advice in, in terms of that this week and not pay up like I did for Adam Thielen. <laughs> yeah, and it didn't work out. And, you know, you got to gotta learn from your mistakes. So as long as you go in the mid-range this week, I, I think it'll be a W. No mistakes in life, only lessons. That's a big Sean quote facts you know these boomers wouldn't know what big sean is we don't take l's <laughs> we we, we uh, get lessons something mm, like that <laughs> something like that yeah tight end every week is a pay down <laughs> week that's a quote from you and i believe that it holds true this week we already touched on it i think the guys that we mentioned are the guys you should be considering hunter henry and austin hooper at the high end of the price range 4500 to 4k and you could look to some other guys like like Ferkser potentially or Anthony Aquagum no Aquagumbanon no Aquagumanon. <laughs> I will give anybody a hundred dollars if they can pronounce his name right on the first try. I'm not trying to even be disrespectful, but man, that's just way too many letters, and and yeah, I can't do it. So tight end, pay down, right? Yeah, definitely pay down. Hopefully, Ferkser opens up because at 3K he will be one of the best plays on the board if Janu is out, but we'll see if that happens in the next coming days and and he would be absolute stone chalk if Janu were to miss but if not like we mentioned earlier definitely Austin Hooper even Hunter Henry if you want to go there I think those are the two clear-cut options I think Ebron at 4k is also a very good play at tight end this week so 4500 is the max I would spend on a tight end that is fair let's transition here to tournament strategy and i'm gonna mention a guy right off the top that i think is cash game viable but is a little bit off the board so he counts for both segments both cash game lineup construction and tournament strategy because he's gonna come in with low ownership and joey i don't think you're gonna be on board with this but tg3 todd (laughs) Gurley, and let me tell you why falcons top five implied team total on the slate home favorites against a bottom five rush defense in the Lions. He's averaging 18.5 touches per game. He's had the second most red zone rushing attempts in the NFL behind Derrick Henry. He's been getting more involved. Snap percentage has risen in four consecutive weeks, 4.5 targets over the last two games. If he has that type of receiving role going forward, his floor is higher. And everything about this says that he's an absolute smash play at only 6K. Todd Gurley, yes or no? Uh goodness i talked about him in my video that came out yesterday and i just hate playing todd Gurley because he's absolute dust he is just dusty and i don't like playing him i will say i did play him in week five in the millie maker and got his 28 point game his highest of the season so shout out to him but i mean the 20 attempt for 47 yards which he had against the vikings is always a possibility with todd Gurley. him averaging less than three yards per carry and having no production is in the range of outcomes and i just don't think I can lock that into my tournament lineups although the matchup is great I might have one share of them I just don't know if I personally can withstand the dustiness that he shows on a weekly basis and it'll just hurt my soul if he busts and I willingly talk 
crap about him and play him. I mean, fair, but he has produced in certain spots. Like you said, the 28-point game did that on 18 touches against the Panthers, and I think he could do it against the Lions, too. The Lions just have no semblance of a rush defense, and I think that he'll be pretty good pivots off of a lot of the chalky plays. I mean, he'll be, what, like 10% on probably, maybe less? Yeah, definitely, I would say around 10%, and I, I think he's a good leverage play off of that game because players in that game are going to have ownership like Kenny Galladay is going to have ownership Calvin Ridley is going to have ownership Julio I think is going to have ownership after his blow-up game last week talk about Doss (laughs) oh Benny 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 And, and people are going to stack this game I think so he is definitely a leverage play off of some of the chalkier guys, in my opinion, or the players that I think are going to be chalk, I should say. So yeah, he's good leverage. Who do you like for tournaments this week? Leverage, stacks, long shot, take it in any direction you care to. Yeah, so I mean, for tournaments, I think if you want to get leverage on the field, you just have to fade the two main games and that was the two games that I said that I loved in the intro and that is the Packers game and the Cardinals game if you want ultimate leverage on the field you don't play this game and you in hopes of both of these games busting and there are some good spots in other games like I like the Saints and Panthers game I like uh the Jets and Bills game well more so the Bills side and I like the uh Pittsburgh and Tennessee game and the Jacksonville and Chargers game so I think if you want ultimate leverage you just fade those two high total games and you but you still play the games that have a total above 50 um so I think that is one way that I'm going to go in my tournaments yeah and you know another good spot I think for leverage this week and I'm not sure yet because I haven't seen a full ownership rundown um but I think that depending on what the ownership comes in as I think Devontae Adams is going to be an ownership leverage spot he will be leverage off of DeAndre Hopkins, who I'm expecting to be extremely high owned in that same price range. And he'll be leveraged off of Aaron Jones, who will undoubtedly be one of the highest owned running backs. And getting some exposure to Devontae Adams after he returned, still had 10 targets, but a relatively disappointing day, only went for six for 61 against the Bucks. gets a much better matchup against Houston in this spot and just provides ultimate leverage. If you can get him at, you know, like 10% owned, I think that he'll be a smash leverage play. And my favorite long shot is in that same game as somebody that I think you can get some good leverage on the high-priced pieces of is David Johnson, who, you know, mm. I mean, I guess I'm just all about the team dust for running backs oh, yeah, this week definitely. and Todd Gurley and David Johnson. But, I mean, David Johnson's workload has been consistent. He's getting decent targets. He's getting decent attempts. He hasn't put together a monster game, but Green Bay right now is allowing the most fantasy points per game to running back in the NFL even more than Houston is. And Houston is the home team here. I mean, they're not favored, but they're the home team. David Johnson could potentially finally have that breakout game in this spot, I think. And, you know, people are going to be looking to Aaron Jones. They're going to be looking to Devontae Adams to a lesser extent, Will Fuller, the passing games. And I think he'll probably be the lowest owned piece with a high ceiling in this game. Yeah, I mean, you're all about the dust this week, so I, I respect you staying on brand for this week. I'm dust daddy. Yeah, he, you're king of the dust this week. So, yeah, I probably won't play any David Johnson, but he will be a good leverage play off of some of the chalkier guys in that game, and he does have a cheap price tag. So don't hate anybody for going there, but my tournament long shot is a wide receiver, and... He goes by the name of DJ Moore. 
at 5,600. Mm. So with DJ Moore, you're going to get leverage off of the chalk guys that are above him and Terry McLaurin and Jamison Crowder and Keenan Allen that are all within four to six hundred dollars. And then some of the guys below him are going to have ownership like we talked about with uh, Christian Kirk and Mike Williams and Deontay Johnson. So he's kind of in that no man's land where nobody will click him. And at 5,600, it is a tough matchup going into New Orleans, but I think this game can shoot out. And the Saints quietly have not been good against opposing quarterbacks. They've been good against opposing wide receivers, but they gave up four passing touchdowns to the Chargers, to Justin Herbert uh, in New Orleans. And I think Teddy Bridgewater, revenge narrative, Coming back to New Orleans, I I think he has a really good game and DJ Moore snaps at 5,600. Had 11 targets against the Bears last week, so hopefully he sees that same target share this week. But him and Robbie Anderson are two of my favorite tournament plays this week and tournament long shots. I think they'll be 5% or less. Yeah, I don't don't always believe in revenge game narratives, but I, I could see... Teddy Bridgewater on the revenge game narrative. I mean, they brought in a half-blind quarterback to replace him <laughs> after he put the team on his back in Drew Brees' absence. So yeah, he, he's going to have some passion in his heart this week. I like that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, DJ Moore is my guy. 93 yards in back-to-back weeks, so he's just been off the 100-yard bonus. I think this is his blow-up game. Um, 25 points or more. Calling it right now. Mark my words. Alright. I mean, you smashed on Swift last week, so let's see if you can do it back to back before we get out of here with our best bets of the week i want to ask you a question that you know we typically reserve for our sunday review shows but it came on monday so you know we didn't we didn't get the chance to talk about it and that's Kenyon drake joey 4800 is this a trend or a trap that he absolutely smashed i mean it took him getting a 60 yard garbage time touchdown to have a breakout game in fantasy but I mean, 4800 is an insane price tag, I think, at home in Arizona in the premier game of the week. Is this a spot where Kenyon Drake is somebody that we should be looking to, or is that just simply chasing points? Yeah, I mean, we called Kenyon Drake the biggest bust of fantasy football, and I still believe that he is a bust. He had a 69-yard run with two minutes left in the game when he could have easily just fell down and they could have ran the clock out but you know he had to run up the stats he had to get a touchdown another touchdown under his belt and help his fantasy owners out and this is definitely a trap he has no receiving upside so far to start 2020 with his highest catch game being two receptions he's getting work on the ground but This was his first game over 100 yards. I will say they didn't account for his blow-up game, obviously, because it was after the prices came out, and 4,800 is relatively cheap for a player that will probably get 20 touches, so I don't mind playing him in in a high-totaled game with the Cardinals at home, but for a season outlook, I still think Kenyon Drake is a sell candidate, and I mean, I've seen people say like they should buy him low and and sell him high and, and whatnot. I think I definitely agree with the sell him high take uh, on Twitter. So that that's my take on Kenyon Drake. It's really like only a matter of price because we wouldn't play him if he were like 6K or even no, above, he's just you know, too cheap. 5K's range. But under 5K, it's hard to see. But yeah, I mean, he would have been like had half the points. You know, he wouldn't have hit the 100 yard bonus or had 
two touchdowns had it not been for that last garbage time play. So I'm not putting too much stock into the box score and, and really expecting him to be more in line with what he's did in the first five weeks of the season opposed to last yeah. week in terms of Kenyon Drake this week. But yeah, I just wanted to touch base with you on that. Let's get into our best bets of the week. Last week, our worst week of the season, we went for 0-3 combined, but <laughs> you know what season it is. It's bounce back season. What do you got for the people? Definitely bounce back season, and I will give uh, one bet. I mean, we've talked about this game for the entire podcast. Seahawks-Cardinals over-under is 56.5. I think this game clearly goes over that total, so give me the over in this game, 56.5 right now as it stands on ESPN. Could be different at different sports books, but as long as it's around 56, I would buy into that line uh with the over so that is my favorite bet for nfl week seven and i am going to stand you know in my tradition of giving more than one bet because you know i gotta get one of these right eventually i mean i've dropped down to almost 50 percent right now so i really need to start making some ground back up on these i'm going to latch on to joey's because i also believe that this game goes over i'm gonna give us the line that i see on fantasy labs right now at 56 so uh, you know i'll give that for Joey as well. I think that that is, you know, sort of like the average line across the field. I'm pretty sure that's how Fantasy Labs tabulates it. So uh, 56 over for that game. I think that both of these teams put up 30 plus easily. And this other one, Joey, this might be bold. And this might be why my betting percentage has gone down because I take stupid stands and I'm going to take another one. <laughs> I'm going to be betting this week on a team that's getting a nice 13.5 points attached to them led by Adam Gase, the New York Jets, plus 13.5 against the Bills. The Bills have been cratering for two straight weeks. It is the second game in the division series. We know that those get sometimes low scoring. They sometimes get, you know, difficult to predict. And yeah, it's just a matter of, I think that the Jets are going to pull this out. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go Jets plus 13 and a half, siding with Adam Gase and potentially Joe Flacco. What could go wrong? Yeah, that's crazy. I would never put my uh, hard-earned money on the Jets, so that is a very bold bet, but 13 points is a lot in the NFL, and they could easily cover that at home, but this is probably a get-right spot for the Bills after coming off two losses, so I I don't know if I like that bet, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I hate it already, and I just said it, but I'm going to stand by (laughs) it, so... Let's go. Jets, Adam Gase for the win. <laughs> but that's <laughs> but that's going to be it for us on episode 99 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you guys come back to us on Monday for our 100th episode. We're going to do something for it. Have no idea what, but we're going to find some way to celebrate making it 100 episodes into the series of this podcast. We will be back on Monday as we always are to recap the week seven action. Like Joey said at the top of the show, you can support the podcast by following us on any one of the podcast platforms you like, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. Also gaining traction on YouTube lately, been getting killed in the comments. If you hate some of my takes, drop by the comments, let me know. <laughs> love to love to hear from the people, hear how I don't know anything about the NFL. It's one of my favorite things to do is just scroll through those. So definitely subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss a video you can also follow our twitter at the dfs dose as well as our personal twitters i am at ben hover b-e-n-h-a-u-v-e-r 
Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at JoeyCarrionDFS. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Let's make some strong plays in week seven and sail to the money.